Hi, I'm Jared Ball, Chief Economist at CEDA, and welcome to CEDA's Policy Snacks podcast, a series of bite-sized explainers about today's big policy ideas and issues. Today, we're looking at the skills mismatch in Australia's permanent skilled migration system. What is it and how can we fix it? A new CEDA report has found this mismatch results in 23% of permanent skilled migrants not working in their nominated occupation and foregone wages of at least $1.25 billion between 2013 and 2019. To discuss this, I'm joined by our senior economist, Gabriella D'Souza. She's the lead author of this report. Thanks for joining me on the pod, Gabby. Thanks, Jared. Nice to be here. So start off, tell us, tell us a bit about how Australia's Permanent Skilled Migration Program is designed to work. Yeah, so Australia's skilled migration system has been around for a couple of decades now. And um, really, we it's designed in a way to ensure that the people who have the skills that Australia needs are able to migrate here. And the way they do that is through a points-based system. So you get points based on your skills, your age, your level of experience, um, your degree. And so it's used as a bit of a tool to engineer the system so that um, it can attract the most productive and also the youngest migrants, which helps with some of our aging demographic challenges. And so obviously in this report, you found that there's an issue with the level of skills mismatch in this program. Um, but start by telling us what exactly is skills mismatch? So the way we define it, a good skills mismatch is when a person is working in a job that uses their skills and their qualifications and they're paid adequately and appropriately. Um, but skills mismatch occurs when a person is employed in a job that's beneath their skill level and or their education level. Um, so, for example, a postgraduate degree holder in physics who's maybe working as a barista um, or an engineer that's working as an Uber driver. And so your analysis of Department of Home Affairs data uh, on recently arrived migrants has uncovered some pretty striking findings about the levels of mismatch that you see in the permanent skilled program. What have you what have you found? So, yeah, we looked at um, the Department of Home Affairs uh, continuous survey of Australian migrants, uh, shortened to CSAM. Um, and what we see is that in the permanent skilled migration intake, uh, for the most part, the majority of people find jobs that are either commensurate with their skill level um, or they're even working in jobs that are, you know, beyond their skill and education level, which is great. Um, and that's within 12 months of their arrival. But we do see that for about a quarter of people, so around 23% uh, of permanent skilled migrants in Australia, they're working at a job that's beneath their skill level. Now, the reason why this is an issue is, as I said earlier, we've engineered this entire program to deliver to deliver us the skills that Australia needs. So why is it that it's not um, doing that for you know a significant portion of the population? Um, the other thing that we found also is when we were estimating what the costs of this is, uh, we found that it resulted in $1.25 billion in foregone wages between 2013 and 2019. And that's not the only cost. Those are just the costs that we can measure. <laughs> um, there are costs to the system in other ways. There are costs, obviously, to the migrants from not being able to use their skills. There are mental health costs, which we cover in the report. Um, but there are also productivity and innovation costs to businesses um, who are not getting the skills that they need. So we, we try and go into a bit more detail about how we solve that. 
Well, and so in terms of how we solve it, I guess that's that's my next question, Gabby. Um, given the significant cost of this uh, and the downside in terms of productivity and innovation in the economy, what can we do uh, to improve the matches that we have between uh, occupations and the permanent skilled migrants who are coming to Australia? Um, so one of the things that we recommend is uh, that the federal government establish a online platform that allows potential migrants and employers to interact before the migrant comes to Australia. Uh, this is not a new idea. We had something off this uh, in operation or something like this in operation. I think it was in the noughties at some point. Um, so it's not a new idea. It was a skills matching visa. Um, and we think that now the time is right for its introduction. Uh, and part of the reason why we think this is a good solution for the problem is because we've noticed in the skilled uh, migration program that there's a lot of band-aid solutions that are being implemented to try and deal with some of the noted issues uh, with the program. So one of those issues, uh, which relates to our next recommendation, uh, is around the update to the ANSCO codes. So the ANSCO codes are basically occupation codes of as many as uh, occupation, sorry, occupation codes that correspond to all of the occupations in Australia. As you can imagine, that's a pretty hefty task. Uh, and the last time that set of occupation codes was updated was in 2013. So our recommendation to the government is to update those codes so that we can um, have a more updated list of occupations in Australia. Because when you don't have an updated occupations list, um, then it's very difficult for organizations to point to an occupation code and say, that's the person or that's the occupation that I need uh, for my business. The other, the other thing that we talk about in our report, uh, which is something that we've talked about in our last report, is to have more uh, transparency around the data and the methods that are used uh, to assess uh, which occupations make it to the skilled occupation list and which don't. Um, and this is important because generally for most visa subclasses uh, in the skill stream, if you don't have an occupation that's on a list, your prospects for migrating to Australia are extremely limited. Um, and then the final, uh, our final recommendation is around the newly arrived residence waiting period. So that's uh, a waiting period that migrants have to wait for um, before they're eligible for things like unemployment benefits. Uh, that was previously uh, six months back in 1996. And then over the course of the last few decades, including, including as recently as um, January 2019, it was increased to four years. So that's four years that freshly arrived migrants have to wait before they're eligible for unemployment benefits. Now, what that means for a migrant who might be considering waiting for the right job, it's very costly for them to do so because they're not getting any other income. Uh, but if we were to give them some form of income support to help them along their job search and to help them find a better match for themselves, um, that will definitely yield um, productivity benefits and income benefits over the longer term. Well, thanks, Gabby. I think a really important report in terms of the recalibration of the migration system uh, heading out of COVID uh, and some really important findings and recommendations that you've got. If you want to access the full report, uh, please go to our website, cedar.com.au. Uh, and thanks again, Gabby. That's Gabriella D'Souza. She's Senior Economist at CEDA. Uh, and I'm CEDA's Chief Economist, Jared Ball.